2: Hi, welcome back to Hurt Tell. He's back, Alie Losowski, our very good friend from the Consumer Choice Center. We love having him on, one of our oldest friends and guests on the program, going all the way back to the radio days. How are you, my friend? Great to see you again. Yeah, things are all good here,
0: uh, Sir Andrew. We're um, you know trying to survive the uh, clocks backwards and things. You know, We always do this whole daylight savings rigmarole uh, every couple of months, and uh, nothing gets passed. Everything changes all the same. We still have to change our clocks and and suffer with young kids that wake us up at all hours.
2: Yeah, it got dark early and uh, the sun came up faster this morning and the dogs were very confused. That's basically all I got out of all of that. And the trick-or-treaters had to stumble around in the dark and the cold, but what do you do? Um, Excuse me. I can't believe I'm actually going to let you talk about this on my program, although I love having you on there, but Let's talk aliens, buddy. (laughs) You already corrected me once. We know the old nomenclature, UFOs, extraterrestrials, ET, aliens. There's new terminology, though. Educate me, my friend. What is this new terminology, and why are we remixing this?
0: Well, um, yeah, it goes back to the terms. So we've heard for a long time, unidentified flying object, which essentially just means anything in the sky And we don't know what it is. Can't see it on a flight tracker. It's not a military plane. It's not a weather balloon. We just don't know what it is. And it was classified as such. So in the last, uh, I would say, seven years, that terminology has been changed. So we don't say unidentified flying object anymore. The official government nomenclature is now unidentified anomalous phenomena and meaning essentially anything that's in the sky that we can't explain or that we have not yet decoded what it is. So why are we talking about this? It really goes back, um, I would say, to Senator Harry Reid and to Congress. I'm keeping it in the lanes here, but we've had through a mechanism of government amendments to various funding bills, to the NDAA, there has been made money available to different parts and elements of both the intelligence and defense communities to uncover what documents, what information, what evidence our government has on different UAPs. So that goes back all the way to Roswell, 1947, but it also is the weather balloons that you might remember were floating above your house uh, there, Andrew. Uh, That was an early... Uh, February and late January uh, of this year. And in these kind of scenarios, what we've gotten is various committees, we've had congressional hearings, and we now have had three specific task forces funded by Congress, hosted within either uh, the Defense, uh, Navy, Space Force, all these different agencies. And the entire idea has been to try to figure out who has what information on any UAPs we've ever had classified, and to try to figure out a process for eventual disclosure. So it has nothing to do right now with non-human intelligence, uh, aliens, little green men, has everything to do with what's in our skies, where does it come from, is it from adversaries like China or Russia, or is it just technology we don't yet understand? That is the, the main premise of it all, and I think is something that does warrant a bit more attention that perhaps perhaps we've given it the last few years.
2: Yeah, we joke about the alien part of it, but there's actually really good work that needs to be done here. You mentioned Harry Reid for the uninitiated and the longtime senator from Nevada. The reason that's important, the United States government owns, I think it's like 85, 90 percent of Nevada. Most of Nevada has test ranges for the government. That includes Area 51. No, they don't do aliens there. It's just where we do a lot of test flights and stuff like that. People live in Vegas. They fly out there. They do all this stuff out in the desert, along with a bunch of other places out there. Thank you very much. This stuff's important, though. We talked about the balloons from China. We know that there's you know, increasing. We now have multiple countries that can put satellites in Europe. Most of them are friendly. Some of them are not. Space is getting more accessible to more people. You now have private entities, not just... SpaceX with the Starlink stuff, but other people, the Chinese are up there. The Japanese are up there. India is becoming a space power now. We have to keep track of the skies for a lot of reasons. It's not just the Cold War that ICBM might come in with the nuke. There's intelligence reasons. There's weather phenomenon, climate phenomenon that we got to keep track of that shows up sometimes. There's a lot of legitimate reasons for this stuff.
0: I think there is, and it does come down to security. And uh, probably the most watched hearing in Congress for a very long time was a uh, House oversight uh, subcommittee hearing in which you had a purported whistleblower by the name of David Grush, uh, who was formerly of Naval Intelligence, later a part of something called the UAP Task Force, which was funded by Congress. And he gave testimony as to various interviews and documents that he had seen about whether there was a a crash retrieval program for UAPs in the past. There are all these different elements, but I think what was the most important is that there are things that are in the sky that we don't know where they're coming from, whether it be China, Russia, or elsewhere, and we don't currently have a system to properly track and disclose that to responsible parties. And This has been kicked up uh, just in the last few days, Uh, There is something called the AARO. I have to be sure I get all my things uh, uh, correct here. So this is the All Domain Anonymally Resolution Office. And this is another agency that is part of the Defense Department, which was, per the last NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, given authority to cover all UAP sightings of government folks and military contractors. And what they have revealed in like the last day or two is they now have all this portal. They've received different sightings. They've received all kinds of documents and reports. And probably the biggest nugget that we have, not just this uh, agency, but in the current NDAA that is now being uh, debated on, it's being negotiated between House and Senate, there is a part in there called the UAP Disclosure Act. And it's actually pretty wild. Uh, because it's not being talked about at all, it would actually give $20 million to a brand new review board that would be called the AARO Review Board. It would look at any of the large disclosures that should be made available to the public on UAP sightings or relevant government programs. So there have been uh, various efforts at legislation to try to uncover programs that might be related to either sightings or research for many years. And we haven't gotten any information about it. And I think that brings up the second element of this. We talked about national security, but now it's also about transparency of our government. Because there are hundreds of millions of dollars that are spent by the Pentagon every single year, You know, likely upwards of a billion if we include pensions and all of that. And a lot of this goes out to military contractors that are not subject to FOIA laws. We don't exactly know where that's going. There's plenty of black budget and for national security. We understand why that is important. But a lot of this stuff could be harboring technologies, vehicles, programs, documents. We don't know. And I think that's the entire point. And luckily, we have seen a lot of great reporting on this from many new upstart substacks, other media organizations, even news nation has done a lot of reporting on this uh, a lot of people might be skeptical but i think that's the natural position is we have to be skeptical and right now the main aim is to focus on disclosure and aim it at the government and if ndaa 2024 is passed there are significant uh, features and programs that would actually aim at disclosing many things beginning uh probably by december of next year so we'll see how that works
2: Kyle Consumer Choice Center, joining us. To me, there's two prongs to this, and then we'll we'll get to the little bit more crazier stuff with the aliens in a second. There's two practical prongs here that I think are important. One, you just touched on the accountability element of this, more accountability in government. We understand some of this stuff is classified, but that is also abused to hide other things. But the other one is one that you've kind of skirted over, but I want to go back and hit on because I think it's important. Our government finds really creative ways to get funding. And this has become a mechanism and we've had Congress people in some of these hearings basically come out and say it's like, yes, we can slap this. We're investigating unidentified object or phenomenon or they can kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge it to the conspiracy stuff. And now they've got a nice big set of funding to go after whatever they need to go to. Some things legitimate, some things not. I think the accountability and funding is the lessons to take from this. Because those are universal principles to all government programs and all legislation and all regulation. That's stuff we should be doing all the time. And if we can use it in this instance to kind of get some focus back on we need accountability and proper funding and things like this, that's really where we should focus on something like this. And if we got to use aliens to do it, God bless, at least we're talking about something important instead of the wackadoo Congress critters, right?
0: Well, uh, yeah, and
2: there's, there are different
0: elements of this. And again, this is all playing out in the last week or two. And uh, there's actually an upcoming hearing that is uh, off the record. It'll be held in a SCIF, a secure compartmentalized information facility. Is that right? <laughs> I'm not the military guy, bro. Uh, and there, there was one version of this that was held with the inspector general of the intelligence community and the Defense Departments with various members of Congress from the oversight Committee these are elected people uh, you might consider them wing nuts on one week and perhaps you know they voted against McCarthy you know another week uh, but they're still a part of this committee and uh, AOC apparently was also there and that is where they were supposed to get a classified briefing on claims that were made at the last congressional hearing and from what we know of that from Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett who has uh, kind of been a leader on this topic, uh, they essentially said they had no information, nothing, nothing to see here. Um, it seemed that as if things were highly compartmentalized. Um, but again, the, the NDAA, if that passes, will really put this on a rush. And you talked about the money. Um, what the... NDAA does, and it's the very last section of it. And this is a huge document, you know, over 2000 pages. It's how we fund the military and our defense. There's a part in here, a quote from it. It is the sense of Congress that due to the increasing potential for technology surprise from foreign adversaries and to ensure sufficient integration across the US industrial base and avoid technology and security stovepipes, there must be blah, 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 elements of disclosure. Of any kind of technology that the US has acquired. It goes on to mention things like propulsion and photon light beams. And I have no idea why that's in there. No clue. This is part of the official (laughs) legislation that they're discussing. Uh, But again, these are all things that we as the public don't know. There might be private military contractors that have access to this stuff. I know it's not being integrated into my Amazon shipments, it's not being used when I go to buy a car. So a lot of this stuff is either not real or is not being disclosed or used so that consumers like me can actually benefit from it. So again, that's more of the, the whole part about, you know, having accountability. And as Mulder said in the X-Files, you know, there is no government agency that has jurisdiction on the truth, Andrew. Uh,
2: They don't have jurisdiction on it, but they do seem to have a hard time dealing with communicating and or sticking to said, uh, Yale Lasoski joining us. This kind of transitions to something else I want to ask you about. Something you've been on for a while. The Consumer Choice Center has been on this for a while. AI, because there's going to be some overlap with some of the stuff you just talked about. Because a lot of what they're talking about with new technology, a lot of people are like, well, we're going to use AI to do this technological leap. I want to start with the nomenclature before we get to the regulatory thing and this new executive order that Biden just dropped on everybody. Again, AI. A souped-up search engine is not AI. It's getting called AI so people can get funding and start up and seed money, and we'll talk about how that stuff all works some other time. But, you know, supersized Google is not AI. But there is such a thing as AI out there trying to be developed I think we've got a nomenclature problem, especially when we start getting regulation, especially when we start getting executive orders. You just mentioned a sense of Congress. Well, we've all become aware of how jawboning works where Congress says we want this to happen and companies adjust because they don't want the congressional pressure coming down on them. I think we got a nomenclature problem here because we're going to do a lot of regulating for something that doesn't actually exist. And we're going to end up screwing up innovation for something that could exist and could be a good thing if it's properly handled, and I don't trust my government to handle it. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think um, there are a lot of different elements to Biden's view of this. And, you know, he's kind of following what the European Union has already laid out on artificial intelligence. I'll have an article about this out, uh, actually, hopefully tomorrow. But what the Biden view of artificial intelligence and how it should be regulated is a very pessimistic model. And when you you ask, what is the actual technology that we're talking about here? What we've seen primarily in the United States, a little bit in Singapore, a little bit in China, is we have these large language models. That's what they're called. And this is essentially just a huge database that has every possible piece of information, command, you name it. And we've been able to use that for generative art. You come up with various themes, topics, words, and I can output an image or video or different elements of your workflow. And what the Biden admin has done in this executive order is lay out a lot of very restrictive elements that uh, really the only other block that's looking at this is Europe. And that's definitely not where I pull my uh, sort of tech inspiration. Uh, But if we look at the order, a lot of it is just based on this risk model. So there's gonna have to be a lot of reporting. Anytime that there's any update in your AI model You're having to report that to the federal government in some capacity. You're having to register where you have your servers and your computers with the government. There will have to be a continuous review of your safety outputs on your product for government review. Again, there's nothing about how AI will improve our lives, uh, living conditions, technology, innovation, and a very pessimistic view about how do we control this and restrict it. I think it's kind of problematic what we already have from the Biden administration. The focus here, again, he's using elements of law from the Defense Production Act, something that Biden has invoked, I believe now, nine or 10 times uh, to have various parts of executive authority. And this is supposed to be something used around wartime, but it's being used here to try to figure out how we can restrict and hopefully direct development in AI. I think it's the wrong approach. And I think it's actually very restrictive to the open source version of AI that already Facebook and Microsoft, they put out huge models open source online. Anyone can download them, use them, make their own products. What the Biden executive order does, it actually goes against that ethos and is going to make that more difficult, more costly. The compliance costs are going to go through the roof and you're only going to have a few incumbents who are going to be able to afford this. And unfortunately- We're not going to have a Silicon Valley of AI if this actually goes through. Uh, We're just kind of going to have a a very government, uh, you know, regulated, stinted program. And yeah, that could be pretty bad for the American people.
2: Yeah, yeah I love joining us. I think this is a good example of something that we've talked about for years now because we've been doing this for years because we're starting to get old and you've been a friend for a long time. Appreciate you, by the way. We're doing this backwards. So basically, what we're, and Biden's doing this, but everybody else does it too. I'm not just picking on him, but he's in the chair, so he gets the blame for this one. The United States government as a whole, we do a really good job of trying to hold things accountable that haven't even actually happened yet. But then like the thing we were just talking about with, you know, the unidentified and the government investigation stuff, we don't want to actually do accountability for the stuff that has happened or is happening. We have this exactly backwards when it comes to accountability. We're scared to death of this future technology. So we're trying to hold it accountable while it's still in the gestational stages. And you don't even know what it is. It's like seven. What's in the box? We don't know what's in the box. Oh, it's going to be a severed head. You don't know that yet. Just calm down. But we want to have all kinds of accountability for this thing way out there in the future that's scary, but we don't want to have accountability over Congress is doing right now or has been doing in the last few years. And then we go, well, why are we having budget issues? Why are we having government shutdowns? That's kind of a core reason right there is we're doing this stuff backwards. Yeah, it
0: kind, we kind of are. I think it, it does have a lot to do with rhetoric and you know your best buddy, Elon Musk. Uh, you know, has talked a lot about the existential threat to humanity of artificial intelligence and AI. And uh, one one founder of a a sort of Google AI, uh, I think it's Andy Nick is his name. He, uh, he made the point that many of these companies are like using these, you know, worst case scenario doomscape things uh, to really try to entrench themselves as the incumbents and make sure that, you know, the regulations are something that favor only them, which, you know, that's classic regulatory capture. Uh, but yeah we're not we barely have this you know the generative ai and you know the inputting whether it be chat gpt or something else you know this has been around a year <laughs> you know, we, we've actually seen a consumer facing model for a year um there's some impressive stuff you know it is not changing the scope of, of our entire work lives but again this is step by step and if you think that the entrepreneurs know the potential of this you're wrong. They don't know. It's all entrepreneurial discovery. How is anyone who's in a bureaucracy or in a government agency supposed to also stay on the same level and then have some kind of approach that would be amenable to innovation, that would be amenable to protecting your rights online? We just don't have it yet. So I think the simpler approach, just keep the laws on the books, enforce those. If there are people who do things with misinformation, disinformation, do things around the elections. You know, we have laws on the book for that. I think it's just, we gotta wait and see. Singapore is taking that approach. Uh, you know, we've seen that with some Latin American countries as well. If we just allow the entrepreneurs to deliver us something and we can better understand it, perhaps there's a time to do it. I just don't sincerely see the case for, for coming down on AI that much, with, at least with regulation through executive order. Perhaps something with Congress and hearings and accountability. Uh, there is another theme, but yeah, we'll see what happens with that.
2: Yeah, and we definitely don't want to follow the EU because their tech sector compared to our tech sector, it's it's not particularly close right now, especially on innovation. Yalel Osowski joining us. I was just, it, it brought to mind a conversation I had with somebody who's extremely smart, way smarter than me. And they were kind of correcting me on something and they think on these things. And I was talking, I made some comment about how the smartphone was a revolutionary technological step. And this is one of the smartest people on the planet stepped in. He goes, no, it wasn't. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, it wasn't revolutionary. It was a consolidation of existing technologies into a consumer product where everybody had access to it. That's not revolutionary. That's a condensation of existing technology. And his argument to me, and it made me think, He's like, that's how you need to view the AI stuff. This is not going to be an evolutionary, revolutionary step that people think it is. It's just going to be another consolidation because it's just changing the format of how information is handled. And, of course, his argument is stuff like, you know, the computer age. That was a revolutionary step because that created the information wave that we're in. And the rest of this is surfing. Where do you see the AI stuff and where we are? Because we seem to be kind of in this little bit of a plateau technologically. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. But we're just putting new casings on the iPhone. We're not really inventing the iPhone, for example, things like that. How do you see technology, especially from the consumer side of it? We seem to be in a bit of plateau. I think people are maybe taking it for granted a little bit right now. I think that's fair to say. I think the regulatory stuff's getting a little ugly because they don't know what to do with this stuff. But how do you view it? Yeah, I think, you know,
0: it's kind of happening all around us. And Again, is everybody just putting together different features that will one day be part of a suite of products at Google or Meta or Microsoft? Uh, That's kind of been maybe the mantra of Silicon Valley the last five or six years is hope to get acquired as you can become a feature on these. I, I think there are some elements that are obviously very helpful. And again, I mentioned using ChatGPT or I mean... Uh, for us writers it it feels a bit like cheating, so that's why I, I don't touch it too much but but definitely with images and videos and creativity, there's a lot that can be done. I think actually where I am a bit more, I will dip my toe into the pessimist pool, otherwise, I'm a total tech optimist. I think you know if we can apply this in any way to healthcare, healthcare delivery, figures out figure out ways that we can have better competition, lower cost. I'm all for it. The pessimist wave. I'm looking more at what are our restrictions going to be on how government can use AI. And this is not really addressed within the Joe Biden executive order. We already know how police departments are using things like facial recognition. Um, There's a startup called Clearview AI that the uh, reporter Kashmir Hill, I believe she's at New York Times, she wrote a book about this. You know, they've been able to amass the largest photo database of any entity in the world bigger than the US government. And they're selling that information to governments in order for those governments to take on investigations, and all these different things. I think the legislative focus, while there's all this innovation happening, has to be a restriction on what governments can do with this stuff, how they're able to use it. If we think of like the worst case scenario, it's a minority report, you know, Philip K. Dick productive crime scenario. Uh, but we also have to find a way that we can still use our constitution. We can still invoke our individual rights. You, you know, I all these things that are happening. I think will have a different use case depending on your industry, and it'll take time. And the greatest innovation might not be there. But I think putting restrictions on what government can do with it. I think that's going to be a more important question of our time than what you know, new whistle bell app is delivered to us on our phone that's kind of how i'm viewing it for right now still very much a tech optimist i just would not like to see too much discretion and power used by government which would not only stop the entrepreneurship but also perhaps down the line endanger our own rights and freedoms
2: Yeah, yeah, Soski. Again, you know, this is something of, these are very old principles we're dealing with. This is just the tech spin and tech nomenclature on it. You go back to the American Constitution, it is limiting what government can do to the people because the people have inalienable, inherent, enumerated rights, and the government can't do anything about it because the government doesn't give them that right. This is just the same conversation again, but we're talking about it with tech and going, okay does the government have a right to do this or do we have rights and the government needs to respect them? Do we need to just have that basic conversation again? Because it feels like we need to reiterate that every 10, 15 years or so people forget it. This is just the same stuff we've always had to deal with as a free people self-governing. We're just using big terms like AI and Microsoft and Google and whatever on top of them, but it's the same problems, right?
0: Yeah. And I think I'll give you a, a recent example. You know, we've heard from, uh, this is it's a couple of very good journalistic reports about private mobile data and we saw this a little bit during the pandemic you know they would tell us oh we've seen there's less people that are driving into downtown Well, how do they know that well they know because they have the cell towers that are tracking everyone's cell phone okay but the government doesn't have that information how are they including that in the public health statistics well they actually go out and buy the data From data brokers who buy it from the cell phone companies, the towers, the infrastructure providers. I think that is something that we have to be very wary of as as well, because a government needs a warrant to access certain information about your location, about what you're doing on your phone, where you are at whatever time. But if they're able to bypass that using third parties, it's the same in the UAP discussion where there's third parties, military contractors, there are ways to get around FOIA that is something that a practice that is far too ingrained in government right now we need to be sure that we uphold these restrictions these are negative rights that we have freedom from and i think where we've seen a lot of that abuse uh, has been probably with people who we don't like you know people who are, are accused of uh, murder shootings drug dealers uh, bad guys in every television show ever you know you see how far the cia or uh, CSI guys go and you say, this is wonderful. But we have this fabric of a constitutional order that exists for a reason. And we can't sacrifice it, whether it be because there's a war in the Middle East, and we're trying to promote one side or another, you know, a lot of things are inherent. And I think we're losing sight of that recently. And I think technology in some cases could make it worse. So I'm dipping my toe right back in the pessimist pool.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to bring round this back up to the consumer choice level, which is your wheelhouse. I think there's a good bit of just good old fashioned corruption that rears its head with this, too. We just saw we just covered on the show, the Matthew Perry thing, where apparently, you know, the TMZ paid off the law enforcement and got the story for anybody else. did. Um, Wolfgang Don Halen was tweeting about it and said, yeah, when I was in the hospital, when my dad died, we hadn't even left the hospital yet. They had it out because they paid off a medical worker. We're talking about the government doing government employees like law enforcement, healthcare employees, you were talking about healthcare reform earlier. I think that's a part of the data information more that we do need to deal with in a regulatory way, in a law enforcement way. There needs to be some real penalties to people, especially government people, especially healthcare people who deal with personal data and just sell it off to people. Good old fashioned corruption has been going on for forever. That's something that we practically need to do something about with ethically. That's just kind of the on-the-ground meaning of technology that we don't think about, but we're going to see more and more and more of that because you're going to have more and more medical administrators. You're going to have more law enforcement. It's going to have more access to more databases. People are going to buy that information. That seems like a hole in laws that are probably going to have to get caught up, case law, trod in court, but we need to address that part of it from a consumer level, don't we? Because that's very practical to people like, hey. You sell your car to somebody, and now somebody's got your car buying history or your driving record, and they just sell it to somebody, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, it's not hard to imagine. We've seen it in other authoritarian countries. You know, you get a, a bunch of people come out for a rally, you know, pro Palestine, pro Israel, you name it. And then the police somehow get the information from the cell phone providers. They go back to those people Hey, were you at this protest the other day? And we know that because of these records. Okay, did you get a warrant? No, we bought the information from here, there, and everywhere. Uh, The executive order written by Biden does make one very good and that he does say Congress should pass a national privacy law, a privacy law, something that can help protect our our data privacy online, specifically when it comes to government organizations, uh, but also would help promote innovation and allow us to be able to make our data portable if we want and that is not yet in the cards. There's a couple states that do have privacy legislation, California, Vermont, Virginia. Uh, These are somewhat comprehensive, um, oftentimes too restrictive, and and take again an influence from the European uh, GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, which goes too far. I can attest by how many cookies I have to reject uh, each and every day. Uh, But that is something that we have to come up with. And I made a similar point around the, the whole argument of central bank digital currency, CBDCs. There's a lot of people who'd love to ban them outright and do it. The only way you can actually do things legitimately, legally, and constitutionally in the U.S., especially at the federal level, is restrict Congress from passing a law on X or Y, or restrict executive agencies from practicing some power. That's how we have to continue to view our government. You know, We don't pass laws to try to restrict... People, It's supposed to be restricting institutions of power. It's again, how our constitution is written. Things have changed a lot in a hundred years and we've really gone down to your own behavior, the things you buy, the things you drink, the things you smoke. But I think there has to be a return to that because we have a system of negative rights that should be protected that are you know, the basis of the American experiment. Uh, we've kind of gone too far uh however you know this is why technology is good trade is good competition is good and, and we do have an out if uh, in case we we do feel we're being abridged
2: yeah yeah wasowski joining us we saw a little bit of case law along that where the courts did step in and told cops like no you can't just geo fence a whole group of people and start picking people out although they're going to keep trying to do that you can imagine how that could get used for protesters um, are you going to start targeting the smoke, you know, the VA's of smoke-free campus the Same four people are outside the gate smoking every day? Are we going to start targeting smokers? Are we going to start targeting legal gun owners every time the Democratic Socialists want to have a rally? Are they going to get targeted? Pick whatever you want. You can see where that stuff could go bad in a hurry because there's always going to be this push-pull between the government, law enforcement. Healthcare is going to want to start getting more of your private data, especially the insurance companies, because they're going to want to find a way to get out of those insurance contracts. The healthy push-pull is going to start encroaching into that privacy stuff. What do you recommend folks look for to where the line gets crossed? Because they're always going to push it. There's always going to be that. And it's not an unhealthy thing, frankly. There should be a little bit of push-pull on the cutting edge of this stuff because we're all trying to figure it out and technology has to advance. Give folks one or two things to look for as consumers of when it crosses the line or when they should start reading up on it or when it's time to start haranguing the Congress critter or whatever the case may be. I think the best thing to do right now is, uh, you know, it's not even the old, um,
0: you know, write your congressman, is is just start using privacy tools to be sure you can opt out of all this stuff. So start using uh, password managers, start using email alias things, encrypted emails, start using browsers that don't leak out all of your information, You know, stop allowing ads, uh, you can block cookies if you want, all the tools already exist, and that's how you're gonna be sure that you don't get your information out and make it as easy as possible. You can go on the dark web right now and scan every large corporate data breach that you've ever had in the last 50 years, And everyone's information is there. You can find social security numbers. You can find addresses, passwords that you might have had on your Yahoo in 1999. So the best thing to do now is just to protect yourself using the tools that already exist. I think that's sincerely the best way we're going to get through this. Until a federal data privacy law exists, where people will have some level of private right of action when your info is leaked, um, that's the best thing to do. So again, password generators, uh, be sure you try to use a different email for various services that are important or not. Use two-factor authentication as much as possible. That is the only way that you're really going to be able to protect yourself. It'll take a long time for Congress to do it. And I think we, we have it within our power to do that right now, online, at home, for our families. So why not start now?
2: Yeah, Yael Elososki, our very good friend from our friends over at the Consumer Choice Centers. Great folks over there. Have a few new names, too, we'll talk about soon, try to get some of them on the program. Let folks know where they can keep up with you, what you all got going on, and how to follow you until we get you back on the program again, my friend.
0: Love it, Sir Andrew. So, yeah, we're at uh, ConsumerChoiceCenter.org, active on all the social medias, as always, trying to keep up with all the trends but you'll see kind of all of our articles, all of our media hits, clips, policy primers, and more over there on the website. So uh, have some nice stuff. Again, things on AI, things on private rail, healthcare. Uh, we got it all coming in the next couple of weeks. So I'll be sure to send it your way.
2: Atta boy We love having it Follow them They do really good work And we always appreciate them yal is one of our Oldest supporters Of this particular program He tells me All kinds of tech stuff That I still don't understand I just do what he tells me to do yal I appreciate you my friend Thank you sir Thank you Mr. Donaldson All the best Yes sir All the music on HerTel Is provided under A creative content license From monstercat.com
1: Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcast at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you.
2: Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late night comedy style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. They got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.